It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, it's James here. Just before we get started with the main podcast, I want to say sorry. Had a few technical difficulties this week. Calvin recording on dodgy Wi-Fi in Crete, George recording on dodgy Wi-Fi in Birmingham, and everyone just generally struggling. I've done my best to fix it in the edit, but I apologise if it ruins any of your usual fun. Anyway, where's my ukulele? The Love Tennis Podcast. There are three of us here. It's not just me, of course, but I'm James Gray of the I Newspaper and iNews.co.uk, and I'm joined by two other musketeers, as usual. Celebrated tennis coach Calvin Besson. Calvin, how are you? Very well, thank you, James. How are you? Well, yeah, well, I'm well. Which corner of Europe are you calling from this week? Still in Greece. Still in Greece. Last week in Greece. Last week in Mantua. Ah, ah would, would that we were. Uh, and, of course, the third musketeer is George Belshaw, tennis correspondent for Metro.co.uk. Georgia, it's traditional now that I ask you by asking um, which injury you're nursing this week. Um, I would say there's a slight improvement on the hamstring. Um, got another physio on Thursday to give the latest update on that. Um, okay. but I've, I've, had a, I've been on holiday this week in Birmingham, so I've had a very relaxed time looking after myself, been doing a bit of yoga, <laughs> I know, we, know, we know Calvin loves yoga, um, so he look, always looks particularly delighted whenever I tell him I've been doing that. Um, very yeah, good. Very, very good. chilled. Excellent. Well, everyone seems very happy. It's very odd, really, given that the weather's mm. been dreadful here in the UK. But wherever you are, I hope you're enjoying something slightly better. Coming up on today's show, we'll be talking about Stefanos Tsitsipas. So good they named him twice, sort of. Uh, Cam Bam, thank you, Norrie. Uh, after reaching another final, Britain's number two heads to Paris in, in very good form indeed. Uh, the same cannot be said of Dominic Thiem. Uh, we'll ask if he should be in Paris at all, or playing tennis anyway. Uh, Roger Federer is back, but uh, I actually want to talk more about Pamblo Duha, who I think is probably the next GOAT, I assume. He's very good. <laughs> Hard to tell on the stream I was watching. Uh, and in the women's game, Coco Goff is hitting form at exactly the right time. Uh, Serena Williams is doing anything but, because she just won't be playing tennis this week, because she's 
mostly waving checkered flags in Monaco and turning up uh, on the podium. Uh, and Paolo Badosa is the newest WTA champion, uh, who we'll chat about a little bit later. But we have to start with probably the biggest title winner last week, uh, the man who very much marked Rafa Nadal's card at the beginning of the year, it's Stefanos Tsitsipas. Um, he triumphed in Lyon. Uh, not the strongest field, I think he wouldn't mind me saying, or at least it wasn't by the time he got to the latter stages, but uh, he did pick up the title. I was surprised, George. It's only his seventh career title, but I suppose he is only 22. Maybe we, we think of him as a bit older because he's been around for so long. Yeah, um, it feels like he's more of a serial winner than he is, but I think we've said it before, he now seems pretty much the most consistent guy at the moment outside the slams. You know, Rafa and Novak are not really that interested in the majority of the tour outside of a Masters event just before a slam. Um, so guys like Sissipas, Medvedev and team are, should be the guys dominating all year round. And I think at the start of the year, I kind of was trying to predict that through my year-end number one, where I said I thought Dominic team would finish the year year-end number one but not win a slam. I now actually think Sissipas is going to do that. That's probably the shift that we're going to see in terms of him picking up a lot of points, not necessarily winning a major. But yeah, he, he's on a great path. And obviously, we'll, we'll talk about Nori in a bit. He, great week for him as well. Um, but Sissipas, yeah, with that final four, you never really thought anyone else was going to be going home with the title. Stefano Sissipas has got an interesting record in, in finals in that he's, he's won a couple against decent players. But for the most part, the finals that he has won have been against guys you would expect him to beat. You know, he's beaten Rublev, he's beaten Team, uh, and Felix Algaraliassim, who, of course, has never won a final. But his tour-level final victories, of which he has eight, actually, um, if you include tour finals, um, they're all kind of... They're all against players you would expect him to beat. Mikhail Kukushkin, Ernest Gulbis, Pablo Cuevas, you know, guys who someone of his quality should be knocking over... As a match player, Calvin, because I know we talk about match players quite a lot on this podcast, how do you kind of assess Stefan Tsitsipas? Is it that he doesn't have enough different skills to win every matchup? No, I wouldn't say that. I think he's one of the most skillful players around. What he can do with the ball, he's, he's got both power and he's got artistry as well. He moves great. Um, I think, I guess you've got to, you've got to say that He's come into an era with with four or five players who tend not to lose very often at all, um, and he's got as close as anybody to regularly beating them. And he's beat them at big tournaments. He's got he's got slam wins against Federer and Nadal, both at the Aussie Open. Um, he got pretty close to Djokovic at the French Open last year. Um, took him to five. He still hasn't beat Djokovic, but then again, there's only about four men on the planet who have beat Djokovic in a slam um, hmm. in the last in the last ten years. So. Um, there's no shame in that, but I, I do think he'll come. I'm, I grow ever more confident that he'll be the next new first-time Grand Slam winner in the men's game. Yeah, I, th- I think there's been a real improvement in general concentration in his game this week. I, mean, I think we said it a bit about Sitapas before. Like his top level is so high, but it's about bringing that lower level up. And I, I do, from watching him, I'm getting more and more confident that level is coming up. Um, it's it's still going to be a, a tall order for him to beat a Rafa in Paris or a Novak in Australia. Um, but I think, yeah, I agree with Calvin. I think he, 
unless Medvedev wins the US, one of those two will definitely win the next slam as a new winner. I'd put a lot of money on that unless Yannick Sinner pushes on as well. But yeah, I mean, Sissipas to me looks like a complete player now. He's so fit, so athletic. Um, and just as Calvin says, got so much variety. Um, super to watch. So yeah, g- only good things coming. And I- I'm pretty sure he'll be in a final this year, if not Australia, early next year. I, th- I think he's a strange one in many ways, though, as well, in that he 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 sort of got this serene mentality all the time. He's like a bit of a hippie with some of the stuff he puts on social media, which is a bit wet, if we're perfectly honest. But also, <laughs> he, but also at the same time, he goes mental at times um, as well. And at the same time, he shows at certain times, he shows this fantastic, strong belief in himself, like against Nadal at the Australian Open, and then at other times he seems to really lack belief and that seems the only gap in his game, that he doesn't mm-hmm. quite think he can make that extra, extra step. So I find it quite strange, but what he has done is he, he's cut out, which a lot of the others haven't done, he's cut out losing to players who you would expect him not to lose to. That yeah. tends not to happen this season at all. Yes, exactly. I think it's interesting because he's he's got a mental coach that he works with quite closely. Um, and I think he clearly has that streak in him. I remember this year some really ugly scenes when he was playing doubles with his brother in Monte Carlo. And he was screaming at the referee. I think we spoke about it on the podcast. And he was, you know, you don't deserve to be here, which of course is ironic given that he was playing with Petros, who basically hasn't qualified (laughs) for a tournament on merit for about three years. And, you know, it was really, really unpleasant, actually. And I don't like players having a go at umpires, but I really don't like it when they, you know, start having a go at their integrity. So clearly he's got a bit of a streak in him, but... Equally, you know, he's 22. I think most 22-year-olds who are competitive about things have got a bit of an angry streak in them. I'm not forgiving him for that, but I think it's something you can expect to slowly phase out of his game. And yeah, I think, you know, what you were saying about not losing to players who he shouldn't be losing to. If you look at the guys who've beaten him this year, the only ones who you would say he maybe will regret. He lost to Pierre-Uvis Ebert in Marseille. But I know that the conditions were there were really, really bad. It was incredibly slow. Um, and I think it was a tournament where quite a lot of good players lost matches to people they shouldn't have been losing to, essentially. So you can kind of excuse that one. And then there's a, a defeat to Kaspar Ruud in, in Madrid. But we also know that Kaspar Ruud's in really good form in the last couple of... He's up to a career-high ranking inside the top 20, I think, for the first time. So, you know, the, the defeats are... You know, uh, uh, and actually, to be honest, if he had not won the title, I think you said it on the group, Calvin. If he had not won that title in Lyon, we'd have been really disappointed because he beat yeah. Tommy Paul, Yoshihito Nishioka, Lorenzo Mazzetti. So, who, to be fair, is a good clay court player, but he's also only just inside the top one hundred, and he did drop the set. And then Cam Norrie in the final. Um, it, you know, I think we would have been very disappointed if he didn't win that title, George. Yeah, definitely. And again, I mean. A lot of the results we talk about players losing, I mean, I think we'll look back at Rude and Herbert. Um, sorry, was it Herbert or Humber? It was Herbert, wasn't it? Not Herbert. Humber. Sorry. Uh, he lost to Hubert. It was Herbert. He lost to Hercatch as well, Hubert Hercatch. Hercatch. But that was yeah, Miami yeah, when Hercatch won the title. So, again, you can kind of yeah. think of it. So, I was going to say, yeah, on those, on those two, look back at both of them and think, yeah, they're going to be guys who crack the top 10. They're going to be good level players. I mean, it's not like, Roger Novak and Rafa have never lost to you know good quality players during their career. So yeah, I'm not I'm not particularly 
worried about any of that for him. I think as with any of the young guys, it's all just are they physically mentally mentally tough enough to go best of five against guys like Novak and Rafa now and Novak you know you kind of would look at him and you think oh surely he's going to be physically slowing down a bit but he says himself I know how to manage a best of five sets match I know that I can physically go the distance you know saying he went a long way with Rafa the other day in Rome having had those two matches one of them against Sissipas and he said you know I've I wasn't feeling physically tired. I know I'm ready for Paris. Um, mm. You know, Sissipas still lacks that experience of, you know, okay, beat Rafa coming back from it, but then he went into Medvedev and lost in straight sets. You know, he needs to be able to repeat that again and again and again against top opposition, and that that's going to be pretty tough. You talk about the physicality, George, because I do think about that match against Rafa, you know, three hours, 38 for a three-set match. It was 7-5 in the third. It was it was a serious three-set match. And Tsitsipas, all right, he looked tired, but he didn't look knackered. You know, he didn't look as though he was going to pass out on the court. I do think he's got that that physicality. And, and he also, he just kind of looks a bit more physical. He, he, he is still quite bandy-legged, I would suggest, because that's just kind of the build that he is. But I think he, he looks a lot more filled out and like someone who can go the distance a bit more, which he's going to kind of have to, let's face it. Um, because there's a very real possibility he could find himself in one half of the French Open draw with Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic. Uh, because have, that's the way the rankings are at the moment. Have we moved him above team in who we fancy at the French? Is he at your number three now? Or is it still Novak, Rafa and team? Oh, for me, yeah. Well, well yeah. Although I did some research on Dominic team and form. And we'll come on to it a bit later. But yeah, for me... I've kind of always fancied Tsitsipas ever since, pretty much since he said it early on in the year, when he said, I'm going to try and beat Nadal at Roland Garros, which obviously everyone's always trying to do. But, you know, <laughs> only two people in history in 102 matches have beaten Rafa Nadal at Roland Garros. And Tsitsipas, this isn't Holger Rune saying it, this is a guy who's number five <laughs> in the world, standing up and saying, I'm going to try and beat Nadal at Roland Garros. And by the way, I've done it at other places, so why not? So, yeah, I don't know about you, Calvin, but for me, it's Pass, you know, is greater than team for the French this week anyway. Yeah, I've got him well above. I've, I've got team well down. Um, he's well out of form. Team's not going to be challenging for that title this year. No, we think not. Um, just to, to touch on, and it's a nice moment to move on, the, the final that Pass played this week, it wasn't a three hours 38 epic. It was actually a pretty disappointing 69 minutes against Cam Nari, 6-3, 6-3, but Nevertheless, a good uh, good result for Cam Norrie just to get to a final of a decent-sized event. George, I know you watched this match. Uh, looking on the other side of the net, how do you think Cam got on? Yeah, I mean, it, it was almost the perfect start. He had the chance to break to love in the first game. Um, it, it was just one of those, that first game. You kind of, I kind of felt he'd lost already. You know, you need to take your moments as Cam Norrie as Sissabash. You're not going to get too many love forty games and. Okay, he didn't do masses wrong. Actually, anything wrong on those break points per se, but it's just what you know—one of those things that you need to kind of take those moments you're going to get. And it, 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 from that point on, it never really looked like there was any danger of Sissipas losing. Um, I, I thought Sissipas was excellent. To be fair, I mean he served really well. He's getting on that forehand really quickly. Um, there just seems a bit more smartness about his play to me. Um, I think sometimes. There could be a bit of a tendency from him to 
you know, we know he's got all these wonderful shots, but it was almost a bit kind of erratic use of them. I think he's thinking through points a lot better now, um, I would say. Um, but yeah, Norrie, it's a terrific week, isn't it? I mean, hammered Hatchinov one and one, a big team. Um, you know, and that Hatchinov result came after playing another match earlier in the day. So yeah. he's already, he's already won more matches this season, I think, than he's managed in any other season. And we're only in May. So, you know, we've spoken about Norrie quite a lot recently, rightly, because he's doing really well this season. But it seems pretty likely to me he's going to be cracking the top 30 this season, which I had down as his ceiling, really. So who yeah. knows? I also, um, he beat Corentin Moutet, the fiery Frenchman, in the first <laughs> round. And I, I spoke to Dan Evans that day, who, of course, had a big clash with him in Barcelona, I think. And uh, he said he, he had watched that match intently. He was extremely pleased to see Noria <laughs> knock off Moutet because I don't think there's any love lost between those two, to say the least. So uh, a victory enjoyed all over Britain. When, when will that piece be coming out, James? Uh, I think that's going to be on Wednesday, subject to negotiations, um, <laughs> which are going to be required over some of the content. <laughs> because sometimes, I mean, just to open the door on journalism a little bit, Sometimes when you get set up an interview, an agent asks you not to talk about things. And sometimes you'll push back against that. And sometimes you go, yeah, not a problem. Uh, and sometimes you say, yeah, not a problem. And then the interviewee brings them up anyway, completely <laughs> out of context. And you're, you're left between a rock and a hard place. So I may have to have some conversations with, uh, with Mr. Rooney, but I'm sure that will be, uh, that'll be interesting, not, to say the least. Not Wayne, presumably. No, no, no. <laughs> damn agent rather than. I don't think Wayne Rooney's branched into the agency business quite yet. Uh, let's move on, and uh, we kind of touched on Dominic's team there, and, and how little we're all thinking he's going to do at the French Open. He's obviously not been in good form this year at all. Um, I think he's pretty much won as many as he's lost. He's nine and seven in 2021 in matches. He's only won four matches on the clay, which obviously would usually be his strongest surface. Um, I did a little bit of research, as I mentioned, on Dominic team and form, because he's never really, or certainly not for a long time, come into a French Open in such poor form. But he has come into other Grand Slams in, you know, without anything in terms of form. Before he won the US Open last year, he lost two straight matches, uh, one on clay, admittedly, in Rio, and then one on the hard court. Uh, before he got to the final of the Australian Open last year, he lost two out of three at the ATP Cup, including one to Borna Chorich. So I don't know what you think, Calvin, because we, we talk with you quite a lot about form players. And I know Dominic's not in form, but that would suggest he's not someone who needs form. Do you see that in his game at all? I think he tends to have results that are a bit, a bit random and a bit out there, usually. But he tends to be also playing pretty well at those times and somehow managed to mess up the matches that he loses whereas hmm. I think this is different I just think he's in he just seems to be struggling to hit the court at the minute his head's all over the place he's not done anything meaningful really since since September hmm. since, he, since he won the US Open I mean he, he, what did he get to the last, last was he quarterfinals of last time's uh, French yeah lost, lost to Schwartzman yeah but lost to Schwartzman when he was a big favourite and yeah it, it, it just not happened since then and I don't know whether when the, the sort of the valve has been released when once he won that slam, I don't think he's the sort who'd go crazy or go off the rails or anything. But the motivation can take a bit of a hit when when that happens, and I think that's what's happened. It's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? We don't know where he's been all year. 
Mm. He's had there's a there's a chance that he's had this really serious injury he's been playing through for a while, but at the same time he played through it. So how serious can it be? And then then he made some remarks I think about wanting some time off and burnout and that kind of thing. So it just it, it just seems not. I can't see him troubling the, the the last stage of this tournament. He just seems all over the shop. Um, I'll just read you some of his quotes from on court after losing to Norrie, which I think are interesting because before uh, now he kind of talked after his losses and gone, yeah, I'm okay with that. Like I'm moving forward in terms of fitness and form. Um, after losing to Norrie, though, he said it's a huge disappointment just now. Step backwards after promising tournaments in Madrid and Rome. I don't really know why. I was preparing well here. I was hoping to take the little positive signs from Madrid and Rome, but didn't work out. I have to analyse it and look forward. George, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it was quite troubling from what he was saying in terms of, um, you know, obviously we know he's been out. We know he's been a bit out of form. And it, he felt he was on the kind of right trajectory before those comments. Um, and then to have such a, a poor, poor loss, really. I mean, Norrie is playing really well, but he shouldn't really have the weapons to take out a team on clay. Teams should have too much for him, just as Sissipas did. You know, that... I think there's a clear ceiling for Norrie against that sort of player normally. Um, what I would say about team is I actually see him as a bit of a Vavrinka card in the French Open this year. I think he's in in great danger if he gets the wrong draw. You know, someone like a Musetti in round one or an early meeting with Casper Rude. You know, if the right player catches him at the wrong time, I think he'll struggle. But I do think... With that run to the US Open, where he won, with those previous runs to the French Open, I do think he has the know-how, especially on the clay, to kind of manage this. And a good draw for him, I actually see himself playing his way in into form at that tournament. Um, so, so we'll have to wait and see. I, I still personally have him at three ahead of Sissipas. Um, I still just think on the clay in a best-of-five sets match, I fancy team ahead of a Novak. And a fancy team to have better chances to beat Rafa on the clay. Um, even though I think Sissipas is playing really well, I just think team, I've seen him play a higher level on that surface. I've seen him be that good. And it's possible for him to rediscover that. But yeah, right now it, is, it, it isn't, isn't that encouraging at the moment. So maybe it's misplaced trust. But as I say, a bad draw for him um, will, will be very interesting to see how he negotiates it. It's quite funny, really, because we could, um, and I always think it's a bit redundant talking about draws before they happen, but we could see two very different halves of the men's draw. If, for example, Rafa Nadal, as is 50-50 likely, goes into the top half with Novak Djokovic, and Dominic Team, let's say, is in the bottom with Daniil Medvedev, you could end up with a really, really poor bottom half. Uh, and, and anyone, really, who fancies themselves a decent on clay... If they're in a bottom half with Daniil Medvedev and with um, with Dominic Team, should probably fancy themselves to make a semi because there's the, a the number of players who are just all over the place at the moment. And I think the way the draw falls, I mean, now I've said that, almost certainly you're going to get Nadal in the bottom half, Team in the top half, City Pass in there too, and it won't matter and we're going to get a really predictable set of semi-finals. But <laughs> there's just quite an interesting little, uh, interesting little idea that, that there's some sort of... Um, you know, there's a draw that could actually make something interesting in the men's game. I don't know what you think, George. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, mean, I think Medvedev is the weakest top four seed at 
a particular slam I can remember in a while. Um, actually, maybe a while strong because Zverev's been there a few times. But um... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's got to be the worst number two though. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he's the other ne- one's been never, Novak I mean, or Rafa. <laughs> just, just to put this in, um, in like you know, very clear terms, Daniil Medvedev is the number two seed. He has never won a match at this tournament. He is 0-4 at the French Open, and he's the number two seed. I mean, you know, it's, it's the way the ranking system works, and I think we're basically all okay with it. But it is minorly hilarious that you've ended up with this situation. And he seems to have no interest in changing that. I mean, that's the most remarkable thing. Like, if you believe what he says, and of course, we joked a little bit about this being some uber mind game from Medvedev where he's just trying to catch everyone cold. But yeah, I mean, look, that guy's not winning this tournament and it'll be a miracle if he gets to the second week on current form, particularly as we've said. There are a few little floaters doing well at the minute um, who are not seeded. And Norrie's in that bracket. You know, there's no reason Cam Norrie should turn up in a match against Medvedev at a slam at the minute, in a clay court slam, I hasten to add. Um, <laughs> and not think, yeah, that guy's for the taking. And I think that that speaks volumes of the level Medvedev's playing out on clay at the minute. And, and also, yeah, a lot about how much Cam Norrie's improved. This is a guy who's, yes, yeah. I think, only... Uh, he's never won back-to-back matches at, uh, at the French Open. In fact, I don't know if he's... We got to the third round of the US, didn't he? So. He's, he's, he's been third round of, yeah, US. Did he, in Australia this year where he lost to Rafa. So he's yeah. been back to, actually not back to back because the French so was weirdly positioned, hardcore third rounds. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so he's, he's clearly you know improved a huge amount. And as you say, George, you, you capped him at 30 in the world. And he looks like he might go past that. And there is also, to be fair, it's an area of the rankings where there seems to be a little bit of fluidity at the moment. Like between about sort of 15 uh, and about 40, partly because of the way the rankings have been. There's a couple of guys, like Gael Monfils is still number 15 in the world, despite the fact that he hasn't won a tennis match for about three years. Uh, <laughs> absolutely clinging on. Uh, I don't quite know how. So there are, you know, Alex de Manure has been in quite poor form and he's still 23 in the world. There are guys out there who I think are, are ripe for, for a fall. Um, but Cam Norrie is not one of them. Um, Dominic Team, you could argue, maybe is. Uh, another man who's ripe for a fall, and we don't say this very often, is Roger Federer, who finds himself somehow, and I think even he would admit that he's not the eighth best tennis player in the world at the moment. I think he said he was more like 800, potentially. Uh, and he kind of looked it. He uh, returned to tennis for only the third time this year in Geneva, home court, uh, on the clay, and he lost to Pablo Andujar, would you believe it, with George insisted before the podcast tonight <laughs> that he was going to predict that Roger Federer was going to lose to Pablo Andujar, uh, but he bottled it entirely. Uh, Calvin, I know it's pretty difficult for, well, it was difficult for all of us to watch this match because Amazon didn't pick up the rights to it, and so it was sort of streaming on a dodgy Bet365 tiny screen, but I guess any time Roger Federer loses a tennis match, there's an element of surprise, isn't there? Yeah, it's it's a strange one. Um, you could say that there's one train of thought that he's rusty, he hasn't played, and he was in the lead. He served for he served for the match, and not served for the match. I think he was four two up in the third set against a legitimate top one hundred player, a decent player who you were expected to beat. And you think it's just rustiness, ring rustiness, and he'll get that out. But it's now not getting any younger, obviously. And it's two tournaments, he didn't look great in the first one that he played a few months ago. Um, you wonder whether it is coming to the end. I, I 
tend to think this probably will be his last year because I don't see if he planned on playing another 18 months, two years, I don't see why he'd be so desperate to get in this French Open. It's a tournament mm. that he has skipped a lot recently, which makes me think that the only reason why he's got he's trying to get there is it's almost like a goodbye to a, to all the four slams. Yeah, I, I suppose my my only counterpoint, and I have for a long time said, well, I said that last year would be Federer's last season, but that, that was before the pandemic. But I suppose the only counterpoint would be that when he stopped playing clay court tennis altogether, you know, for three years, he went back to clay because he said he didn't want to come to Wimbledon rusty and he felt really rusty and he was kind of just using clay as a, a warm-up for the grass and especially given the schedule at the moment you know if he wins three matches at the French Open goes out in the fourth round I don't think he'll be that gutted about well obviously he'll be gutted but I think he will think that it has worked you know he's not playing Stuttgart but he is playing Haller I believe um, because he always plays Haller and they have a lifetime contract uh, but then he'll go to Wimbledon I think feeling quite good Nick. Yeah, it's it's possible, although even the things he's saying are not don't fill you with hope, do they? He's not like he's coming out and saying, I'm in great shape, pain-free, I'm ready to go and I'm ready to challenge. It's kind of all a bit, let's see what happens, let's see if I can move okay. And it just seems that the, the, the expectation is set really low, I think. Mm. And it's, it's not that of the serial winner that he's obviously been in the past. And, and I, I wonder whether, if he planned on playing another 18 months, two years, whether he wouldn't just wait two months to come back and make sure he's 100%. Yeah, I think there's a, a pretty strong movement, that, especially with the Olympics in Japan. And, you know, Roger's got a pretty good commercial brain on him. I think he realises that Tokyo being one of his last tournaments could be quite a poignant and potentially lucrative thing to do. Yeah, title is not won as well, don't forget. I mean, yeah. if you... It's a prep, I think, both Roger and Novak in terms of how they all finish. I mean, that's that's one thing Rafa has over both of them at the minute is all four slams and Olympic gold. Um, I can't see Roger winning it for what it's worth, um, really. But, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It, it, it's interesting seeing Roger coming back. I, I, I can't... James, to be honest, I, I, I don't... I think he needed some matches in the legs before the grass. He needed something. I, I was just a little bit surprised that first set of matches wasn't scheduled a bit earlier in a Madrid, for example. I just felt those conditions suited him so much better um, to try and get a few more matches in his legs. And, you know, I'm not really sure any of us, and he's probably in that category realistically thinks, oh, Roger is an outsider for the French. I mean, he's an outsider for the second week, really, um, mm. at the minute. So, yeah, I was didn't just take a place he could have got a few more match wins. Andy Yar, for what it's worth, has been handy on playing the past. I think I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying he beatens in one of his tour finals in Marrakesh, maybe um, before Dan had won a first title. That might be plucked out of the sky or. I'll take your word for it, George. I will take your word but for I'm, it. Or was it Edmund? It might have been Evans or Edmund. I can't remember. Actually, maybe Edmund rather than Evans. But anyway. Carl um, does love playing in Marrakech. But. Yeah. Um, so, he, you know, he knows his way around. He's picked clays his surface. As, as a sort of slight aside, I do wonder with Federal whether we, we always talk about when, when he'll stop. I wonder whether there's a, there's a chance that he never actually announces his retirement and he just kind of fades it out. So I think we're all, we all kind of accept that he'll keep on playing Labour Cup after 
he's in theory stopped playing and whether he just sort of churns out eight tournaments a year for a couple of years. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I, I kind of, I see him doing more what he was doing with Zverev before the pandemic kind of took hold um, and Del Potro yeah. was arranging these one-off exhibitions because he just makes a fortune every time. And the like, sort of Floyd, his... basically a Floyd Mayweather retirement, isn't it? Yeah, and, yeah. and to be fair, there is something, there is for taking tennis where it doesn't normally go and, you know, Federer, the tour is pretty stuck. You know, there's not been masses of movement between like the biggest events that a Federer would go to every year. Um, you know, you're talking about Hamburg was a master. There's not been masses of movement in the Masters series for the last 10 years or whatever. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think, I do think we'll see Federer doing things like that. But I, th- I think his tour days will be over in 18 months' time, to be honest. Let's move on. Uh, because there's not much more to be said about that match because he played poorly and, and we think he's going to play poorly at the French. Um, let's talk a little bit about Coco Goff, who's not playing poorly. She's playing very well indeed. Um, she picked up a title in Parma, uh, in singles and in doubles, uh, with Katie, Mat- Katie McAnally, who I know she plays doubles with quite a lot, uh, who's actually the girl that she beat to a uh, junior French Open title uh, only three years ago which says a lot about how insane Coco Goff's career has been. She's kind of been up and then down and then up again, quite frankly. Uh, George, she's kind of just just been getting things done, hasn't she? She won 20 of her last 26 matches. She's just making progress in the exact way you'd want a teenager to, wouldn't you? Yeah, um, playing really, really well on clay, um, as, as she has done in her junior career as well. This This feels all of a sudden like, it could be a, a really big slam for her. Um, I really don't fancy a lot of the best women's players on clay. You know, where Osaka's weaker. Um, you know, Andreescu's just played her first match today, which, by the way, I think she blitz one and one or something. So, you know, she's but that is, still got... Am I right in saying that's, like, only her second tour match on clay? Yeah. Which is just insane. Due to, due to injury. And, and, yes, yes, I do have her to win the French Open, according to our year-long... Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, she's she's enough to potentially just go, um, in my opinion. But, you know, Barty had a little injury problem. Halep's out. You know, Sviontek's the player to beat, I think, along with Barty. But Goff could easily avoid both of them and be looking pretty pretty strong on the other half of a draw if it does come out like that. So, yeah, I, I think this is a really, really exciting slam for her. I don't think there are many players who she'll turn up against and think, I can't I can't beat them here. Um, yeah, I was just looking at the rank. She's obviously up to a career high of um, 30, uh, 25 in the world, uh, which is a testament to how quickly you can go up when the point system is doing their job. And really, as you mentioned, Sviontek, Barty, Irina Sabalenka, I would probably put in a bracket of someone she wouldn't necessarily expect to beat because she played very well this year. But really, anyone else uh, ranked above her, you'd think she would have a massive crack at beating. Uh, and, so, and so, on that logic, she should be making a semi-final here. Uh, Calvin, do you think that's realistic? Coco Goff in a French Open semi-final this year? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd, I'd make I'd definitely have her in the top going to say the top six or seven I think um, who could do something so I, w- I would say she's definitely got the capability here and she's she, I think it happens with young players like that you have these sort of moments where you feel like they're taking the next step and they're ready to go 
Um, and I think that that funk off is around about now. And I think other than other than Swantec, I'd, I'd I'd have Swantec as favourite, and then I'd have Goff in the sort of two or three players below her. Who I think could mm. do it in the contenders bracket, I suppose you might say. Yeah. Um, which incidentally would be a, a boon for American tennis. It's quite interesting. I saw because I think it was John Isner dropped out of the top thirty. There was no American man in the top 30 in the rankings pretty much since they became computerized which i think is the the maybe the mid 70s and you know you think of those great that great davis cup team of the 90s and where they used to be it should be said that they do have number 33 number 34 and number 35 in the world at the moment so outside the top 30 a little bit of um, what cricketers call root maths uh, and riley apelka seems to have come in some form uh, and Taylor, Taylor Fritz equally is playing some decent tennis at the moment. So not all bad for American men's tennis, but in American women's tennis, they do really have a superstar uh, in Coco Goff to, to get behind. She's, I think, the USA number five, to be fair. Uh, so she's by no means their best player because she's behind Madison Keys, Serena Williams. And of course, uh, Sophia Kennan is the one you're forgetting about, George, because she basically hasn't done anything in a while. Um, and Jen Brady are a pod favourite. Um, it's worth mentioning Serena Williams because she was uh, on British TV this weekend uh, waving the chequered flag at the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, in Actually, for a woman who professionally holds a thing and waves it around in quite uncertain style, she just kept sort of waving it and then not waving it. I was like, no, 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 keep waving it. Keep, you know, she had the one-hander out for a while and then went to the two-hander, which, as we all know, is much more effective anyway. So, uh, well done, Serena, on that. Um, I also saw her courtside at the Ultimate Tennis Series, which is Patrick Muratoglu's latest experiment, and maybe the less of that, the better. Um, but in terms of actual form, I know we've discussed Serena last week. I know Calvin's got very strong, very simple views on Serena Williams at a Grand Slam. George, I think you're more of a Serena believer, but I think <laughs> even you can't be a Serena believer at this stage, can you? Yeah, I, I, w- I wouldn't have myself down as much of a Serena believer. I, I have a find it very hard to permanently rule out Serena at Wimbledon but that aside I, I can't see her winning another one um, and I think she's got one last shot at Wimbledon this year and given how little she's played I, I still think that's really unrealistic as well so yeah I, I don't fancy her at all at the minute um, and certainly not at the French Open uh, these not been particularly well, you know, Polaroska did go to the French Open semis last year, but I still think that was more of a, a consequence of a nice draw rather than necessarily thinking, well, that's someone who's going to be back in the semis this year. Um, and yeah, yeah, I just I don't don't really think anyone will be turning up and fearing Serena. And that might be quite a nice early match, actually, Serena versus Goff. That might be a nice symbolic passing of the torch. I'd, I'd, I'd fancy Goff to beat Serena pretty comfortably at the French this year. Um, it's, it's funny just um, yeah I, I agree with what George is saying there but it just reminded me that um, out here in Greece this afternoon we actually had the Patrick Muratoglu's tournament on um, it was on the screen in the apartment block where I'm staying and it is utterly mad um, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I can't express how ludicrous it is like before each match they put the rules on and there's two screens of rules that on top of tennis rules, which is already a fairly complicated game, mm. um, and, and it, it's just absolute crazy, and it like, can only have been designed by a madman. 
just what so do we think? To, to people people who are not familiar with it, the kind of longer the short of it is that there are four quarters to matches, which are eight minutes long, and whoever wins the most points in each quarter wins the quarter. Um, rather than any of the traditional 15 love um, and you know first to six set scoring, uh, there's no second serves because apparently rallies are more exciting according to Patrick. And there are various bonus cards that you can play, like it's a knockout, which will be lost on the 75% of listeners who are not UK based. But uh, essentially, you can sort of play power ups and you know feed your tennis player boosters. Um, I think there are some good innovations there. You can hear all... There's coaching all the time, if you want it. And you can hear all of that. You can interview the players between quarters, which I don't hate, although I assume players absolutely despise it if it was a real tournament that meant anything. Um, you know, so there are some good things about it, but otherwise it's utterly bonkers, George. I, I think, yeah... I, sorry, George, go on. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I think... Yeah, I, I always kind of think of it as a Pokemon card meets tennis sort of thing in terms of the weird kind of magic spells. Thing, but... I, the one thing I would say to be fair to them is I think it's the right place to be trying out weird things, you know, in this format. Like, I don't, I don't actually mind them trying get rid of first serve. I, I don't think it'll catch on or be anywhere near the tour, but I don't think it hurts to give it a go um, in something like that. As you say, there there are a few too many rules. I think and it is a bit bit hard to follow, but. Some of the simple ideas and the time thing with tennis, I think, is a permanent issue. Um, like how long matches can go on for. I think that is something that will ultimately change, even not through design from tennis purists like us who enjoy watching the long matches. I think it's just unrealistic that in 30 years' time, seven-hour matches will be even closer, or six-hour matches, five-hour matches will be a thing that is wanted regularly in the entertainment world or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's good to innovate and try different things. So I'm not, I'm not going to criticise them for that, but yeah, it, it is a little bit wacky in its current form. It, it just, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, George. There's, there's too many rules. Some of the rules are actually not bad, but it's basically, like, apart from the, the court, which is the same as normal tennis, and it has two people on it playing with rackets, it bears no other resemblance to tennis. The scoring system they've completely changed um, and there's all these, these cards and stuff and I can't for the life of me I'd love to know who came up with the idea that you, you get you lose less points if the opponent hits a winner than they do if you chase the ball down where it literally benefits you to not chase balls sometimes um, yeah that, that, I, I like the um, the serve and volley card where you play it and your opponent has to serve and volley which which Corentin Mutet then decided to underarm serve on <laughs> and consequently won the point. Um, I, I call them Mutet and Medvedev. That's not what they're called. I think they're called the Hot Stop and uh, the Weirdo. Chess, chess Master, isn't it? Something like that. Right, yeah. I think I I saw. Every player is known not by their name but by a nickname, um, except Grigor Dimitrov, whose nickname is Grigor. Uh, it was extremely inventive. Even I've got a nickname for Gregor Dimitrov, and I basically don't matter. Um, Anyway, uh, you will see lots of clips of UTS, I'm sure, on social media, because that's basically the only reason it exists. 
the, the nickname's really funny, isn't it? That Grigor one. It's almost like they were negotiating with his team. It was like, Patrick, I'll do all this weird, wacky crap on court, but if you give me a stupid nickname, I'm out. So, I mean, I just can't, I <laughs> just can't see Grigor how that's... He's all right with anything you like, <laughs> including getting touched by Serena Williams, which I quite enjoyed. Uh, but call me anything you said, Grigor, and I'm, I'm walking, yeah. Very often. Um, a few little uh, other bits of news to run around outside of Patrick Muratoglu's weird and wacky world of whatever sport he is playing, because it ain't tennis. Casper <laughs> um, Ruud, as I mentioned earlier, picked up a title uh, this week to a career-high ranking uh, inside the top 20 for the first time and going quite well. He could be one of those players you want to meet in the third round, George. Um, Denis Shapovalov is not one of the players you could meet in the third round. In fact, you won't meet him anywhere outside of the physio's office at the moment. He's pulled out of the French Open, which is a particular shame because he did get to the final uh, and lost to Rude. Uh, he says he's got a shoulder problem that's been bothering him, and really the doctors said that he's, he's just not in a position to play. Uh, George, did you think that he was any sort of threat at the French Open anyway? I I had him penned for maybe like a quarterfinal run if he landed in a good section of the draw. Um, I, I think, as we said, with Medvedev in number two, someone is going to benefit. And I think he was playing well enough. You know, the way he played against Rafa um, the other week in Rome, you know, he, he was threatening to be that sort of player who could push through. Um, I didn't see him winning it, to be honest. But, you know, it's a shame because he's a very watchable player. He, he's a good player to have in the draw. Um, regardless of whether he's going to win the title or not, you know, it's, it'd be good to see him getting some big matches at slams against Raffers, against Novaks, against Rogers, so he can kind of get himself out there to the fans who turn up just to watch those matches. Um, so, you, you know, particularly at slams, we've not really had him against one of those guys yet. So, um, yeah, I think it'd be, it's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Short answer. It's a shame. Um, it, in other news, uh, French Open qualifying is underway today. So, uh, obviously, a lot of the results we might look forward to uh, will already have happened by the time you you hear this. But a couple of quite interesting victories. And, of course, with our fantasy tennis game returning this week, where you are required to pick a qualifier, you might be interested in a couple of players. Um, a good win for Arthur Fille, uh, the French world number 1,034, who's in the wild card. He beat Bernard Tomic, which of course would have been a popular victory all over the world. Um, <laughs> Calvin, I don't know if you've come across Arthur Fee before, uh, given that he's only 16 and therefore has pretty much only just come out of nappies. But um, I-, I wondered if you might have run into him somewhere around the circuit. Um, I've not, no. Um, again, well, never mind then. That's hugely disappointing. I was going to nappies. No, I've not, but. Um... I'm sure he's an excellent player. I mean, if, if he's 16 and winning matches at that level, then you know it's 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 a phenom level at that stage. Because yeah, we're moving into an era of the game where players are coming through later than they did previously. So mm. anyone who's winning at that age, it's it's, it's quite something. Uh, even I if also it is Tom Rich. even if it is yeah Bernard Thomas, who you just need to vaguely get. Him. Yeah, uh, I also noticed a victory for. Uh, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce this name. Uh, Quentin Ali, Alice, H A. I do know Quentin Alice. That's good. Uh, you almost certainly know the bloke he beat. One Tommy Robredo, who I have to say I did not realise was still playing qualifiers for Grand Slams. I thought he had long given up on that sort of pursuit. Anyone like to take a shot at how old Tommy Robredo is? 
I don't think he's as old as you think. 39, I reckon. He is 39, which is really old for a tennis player, George. Well, I just thought he's younger than Federer, or around Federer's age. So it feels like he's older to me. But Federer, as we've said, just shifted the goalposts a little bit on that front, perhaps. I think that is a name I was not expecting to see anywhere outside of the commentary box any time this year, quite frankly. But clearly, um, I'm in the minority there. Um, I mentioned the fantasy tennis game. Uh, I'm uh, the day off tomorrow, so I, of course, will be working on the algorithm. And we're going to make some tweaks to the the rules to allow you to pick a few better players. I mean, I have to say, George, last time the game was spot on. And then Aslan Karatsev broke it. Because the one thing that would really skew the scoring is a qualifier making it to the semi-finals of the Australian Open. And, of course, it did. It's not going to happen again, is it? No, I don't think so. So I, I, I who, who bloody knows? No, I mean, look, uh, Karatsev was a bit of an outlier, wasn't he? I suppose, really, he'd been in such good form and with kind of the dodgy rankings outside of a slam, he'd been prevented a bit of a, a climb, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, look, I, I can't see that happening again. Although, that said, I mean, if you had Podorowska last year at the French Open, mm-hmm. you'd have got semi-final points there. So perhaps more likely to happen in the women's than the men's, considering Karatsev is well out and uh, seeded this year um, mm. rather than the qualifier. So, yeah, I, I don't think it'll happen again. But I, I wouldn't say it killed the game. I think it, it made it easier. For my, my friend, of course, won the main one. But You remind me of his name? Andrew Philpott. He also Andrew has just Philpott. won our fantasy football this week, our, our schoolboys' fantasy football. So he's clearly he's a skilled man in the fantasy world, lesser oh, in real wow. life. Well, Andrew Philpott is the man to beat. Um, I will put his score up on our socials every day just so that everyone has something to aim for. Uh, I've already spotted a few names, I mean, assuming they make it through qualifying, who I think, you know, Sarah Irani is in qualifying. She's someone who got picked quite a lot in Australia. She's might popular. Win a few rounds. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure she I'm pretty sure she hit a an underarm double fault this week. Not to put you off picking her. <laughs> Victor Troiki is always entertaining, and he got bageled in the first set of qualifying and then came back to win uh, against uh, Tiago Seaboth Wild. So, you know, if you, want, if you want real value for money in terms of entertainment, uh, he's someone you might go for. But then he could be out by the time you listen to this podcast. But uh, yeah, we'll, as usual, we'll do a couple of videos on social uh, talking about our teams. Uh, and we'll share the spreadsheet. You can also uh, get the fancy tennis through inews.co.uk. Um, delighted to say that my boss has decided that he's going to help out with uh, with pushing that. So I think we had 250 maybe um, last time. So if you want to be part of them, I do have to say uh, because of weird laws, there's no prizes. It's just for fun. Uh, if you get really into it, that's fine too. But there are no prizes because, frankly, if you see the paperwork involved in putting a prize up for something. Uh, you'll understand why. Uh, which brings me neatly on to any other business. George, I'm sure you've got at least one piece. Uh, I just wanted to flag up that, with fancy tennis in mind, that Paola Bedosa might be worth keeping half an eye on. Um, mm. Someone we've not really had a great chance to talk about the last few weeks, but she was first Spanish woman, I think, to get to the semis of Madrid, picked up her first title this week in Belgrade. Um I think she's 23, um, loves the clay, 
definitely one to watch out for. I um, I don't know whether it comes in any other business, but I know we spoke about um, that I would have a rant every week, and I've, I've got oh. a topic to rant about. If, oh, uh, get in. Anyone's interested. Always. But, um, just this is on the ITF circuit, so I don't know whether people know, but as, as, as time has progressed, a lot of the futures tournaments are now held at hotels, um, which is the official hotel. But players don't often stay there because they're extremely pricey, so they will stay off-site. And it's becoming more and more now where the the tournaments are charging players who are staying off-site to use the practice courts <laughs> at the tournament, which I find absolutely abhorrent that they're, they're running a tournament and they're charging the players that play in there to use the practice courts if they choose to not stay at the official hotel. So if, if, you, if, the, if there's a tournament that doesn't... That every single tournament, every single future tournament has an official hotel which they advise you to stay in and you often the, the, the courts aren't at the hotel. But some tournaments, the, tournament, the courts are at the hotel. And the, when the courts are at the hotel, the hotels are charging players to use practice courts. I, I think this is a rare rant where you'll find uh, very little opposition against that. I, yeah. I've always found yeah. this. <laughs> this is a strange Calvin rant. It's not like a small rock to die on. I think. I think yeah. it's, it's a fairly safe island to defend there. Um, but it's yeah, it's terrible. I mean, like, I remember when we were uh, when they changed the ranking systems. I was speaking to a lot of players at that level who are not really. You know, the ITF ranking system, the one that was botched very quickly yeah. after being a complete yeah. disaster. And I was speaking to a lot of players down that level, and I was kind of astonished how how common practice that was that these tournaments were basically forcing you to stay in these hotels, charge their own yeah. thing. It just seemed t- totally kind of ludicrous. But the idea to then charge people outside for practice just seems absolutely mad. So, yeah, I, well, I, I don't understand why that's not been stamped down on by the right. ITF. Well, I do, I do understand, but... Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't believe that the ITF haven't overruled it, but to give you some, some more context, the official hotel in Greece this week is 90 euros per night per person. Mm. And, and they're getting, there is, there is apartment blocks that are 20 euros a night. And yeah, I was going to say, like, 90 euros a night doesn't sound like a lot, but when you put it in the context of accommodation in Greece, it's very cheap. Yeah. yeah, and a coach, and a coach as well, of course. If you want to bring one, like, yeah. and, and yeah. what's your prize money, your travel? You know, it does add up at that level. You want to do it as cheap as you possibly well, can. Pro- well, yeah, the, pro- the the these tournaments most players out here for three weeks. That's ninety euros per night per person for three weeks. Mm. That's, that's a hell of a lot of money to then go. It's, it's, even aside from that, if the, if the, if the tournaments, if, the, if somewhere is going to run a tournament, they have to make practice courts available to everyone in the draw. It's, it's yeah. astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't, you know, if you take a normal tournament like, at a higher level that isn't run out of a hotel, it's not like <laughs> Wimbledon charge people to come and use the practice courts. Like, you're in the draw. It's your right to use the I mean, you get. Well, uh, it's, 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 it's even stipulated, isn't it? It's the same anyway, James. I was in, we were in Germany last week and the tournament, they have an official hotel, which we stayed in that week. So it wasn't extremely expensive. But the tournament isn't at the hotel. It's about a 20-minute walk away. And you can go and practice there whenever you choose. It's only these tournaments that are run at the hotels where they're saying that they're basically trying to bully people into staying into the hotels. It's not the, it's not the Lytos Beach Club Championships that we're playing here. It's an official <laughs> ITF tournament. Yeah. Quite insane. Well, 
There you go. Tales from the Tour. It's a book that I will definitely go through for you, Calvin. At a very, very... <laughs> um, which is not a segue of me saying I've got a book out, which I do. Um, called, called Max Verstappen by James Gray. All good bookshops, but particularly Amazon. Eleven ninety nine. Great gift for anyone who likes F1 or anything like that. And it's very orange, crucially. I'm a bit disappointed you've not got a cooler pen name, to be honest. Well, I did think about that, but then your name is everything. Uh, <laughs> kind of, I basically, I'm, my name is quite a common one, and if you Google my name, you either get James Gray, the film director, who's done quite a lot of stuff, particularly in, the, in, in Europe, uh, or you get James Gray, the Tory MP, who cheated on his wife while she had cancer. So it's kind of like I basically want to try and bump my name up that list <laughs> above one of those two, uh, just to try, uh, try and move things on a bit. Um, so thank you very much for your company, as always, gents. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you. If you're listening live on the Locker Room app, we're here every Monday night from 8 p.m. Uh, if you're listening back on the podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review. We always enjoy it. Um, and otherwise, please do take care and try and enjoy yourself. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.